The Zamzo's Garden Show is sponsored by Zamzo's. The views, opinions, and advice offered by the show's hosts do not necessarily reflect those of KBOI or its parent company, Cumulus Media. KBOI makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information expressed and shall not be responsible or liable for any claims arising out of the use of or reliance upon any such information. What kind of seeds are you sowing? Why is it so green where you're from? It must be Zamzo's growing in your yard, garden, or barn. You've done it right, you see it. Got the help that you need it. Zamzo's really makes you want to come home. I'm coming home. Cause nobody knows. Like Zamzo's. It's the Nobody Knows Like Zamzo's Garden Show on News Talk KBOI. To be a part of the show, call now, 1-800-529-KBOI or 336-3700. It's the Nobody Knows Like Zamzo's Garden Show on the Big 670 KBOI. How's it going, everybody? This is the Zamzo's Garden Show, and I am your host, Nolan Guthrie. I am back live in studio. Thank you all for uh, letting me have some time off. Took a lot of time off this last uh, month here, but I'm glad to be back. I appreciate it. I had uh, had a lot of things to kind of take care of. I recently had my uh, grandfather passed away, and uh, we went and had a memorial for him, and, uh, and it was really good. I got to see a lot of family that I haven't seen in a long time, um, and I really needed that. So I appreciate you all bearing with us and uh, tuning back in. I thank you all. Um, Weather has been just wild this year. We're going to talk about a handful of things. I got a couple of different things uh, I'd like to talk about today, or if we can get to it, we can do that. But if you'd like to be a part of the show, as always, I would love to talk to you. I know it's been a while, uh, so I I want to talk to you. Let's let's hear what's going on out in your lawn, your garden. What's happening with your trees, your shrubs? What have you planted? Uh, what do you need help with? I'd love to talk about it. Give me a call at 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBOI. Like I said, the weather has just been up and down every single week. It seems like uh, something else is going on with the weather. We were having snow just before the last frost day, which did not seem to be like a, you know a great deal. Um, it seemed like we even had a really close to a, a late frost last uh, just the other day as well. So, but it looks like we might be out of that now. Looks like the temperatures are really stabling off. Um, we've got a little. Looks like we've got a little bit of rain coming today, which is always appreciated. But we have had a lot of rain this spring, which uh, you know is kind of slows some things down, keeps us from doing a lot of things outside. Uh, but it is good. Just for us in general to have that weight, have that rain, have that moisture that uh, hopefully we'll be able to use. And it makes a, taking care of the lawn a little bit easier too, right? All right. So um, looks like, uh, yeah, those things are going to be changing up. And uh, we should have some warm weather on our way soon. And we'll talk about some of those things. Some of the things, you know, it, when it when we get into spring and you have this kind of extended rain, in uh, in cooler temperatures, there's a lot of things that kind of happen. There's some things that are really good that come out of that, and then there's some things that aren't always as good. And there's some things that we need to prepare for. So we're gonna get into that. Um, yeah, 
Let's talk about those sorts of things. If you want to be a part of the show, you can give me a call at 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBOI. All right, so the first thing that I'm really concerned about, and I haven't heard... Um, usually when, uh, this happens, you know, it kind of, you kind of hear about a lot of it, but, uh, I haven't heard about it, but we've got a lot of conditions the the cooler temperatures and the rain really lend themselves to fire blight becoming an issue. And it seems like it's been a couple years since we've had, um, a lot of reports of fire blight, but right now what we've had the last month or so are just perfect conditions for fire blight. Now, let's get into fire blight a little bit because it is a disease that you want to know about, particularly if you have any plants uh, in the rose family. So those are going to be things like your apples, your pears. Those are probably the two biggest things that you got to worry about. If you've got those fruit trees, apples or pears, uh, fire blight is a big concern because it can uh, it can just devastate um, a small tree. If you've got a smaller, newly planted tree, it it can wipe that thing out and, uh, you know, you might not have much tree left once you actually take care of it. For older trees, it's a little bit easier. There's, you know, if there's a lot of established branches and it's been around for a while, it's still very difficult and it's uh, not great to have. Uh, but a lot of times those trees are going to be able to, uh, at, with some care, fight their way through it and, 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 and not lose too much. But let's, uh, fire blight is a, a bacterial disease. Um, which is a little bit different than what we typically deal with. A lot of times, you know, we kind of notice a lot of the funguses, and uh, but bacteria are a little a little more rare. We don't see a lot of bacteria quite as much. Um, and as uh, the the fire blight is is this bacteria, and it particularly likes to uh, start or attack the newest growth. So the the tips of the branches that are the newest, the most are uh, the youngest, the uh, most easily. Uh, bendable, uh, have a lot of new leaves coming out. That's where you're going to see that fire blight show up. It shows up at the very tips of the branches first. And it, at first, it's going to be very subtle. You're not going to, you might not even notice a whole lot of it, but, uh, you're going to notice some, some wilting. You might notice, uh, some discoloration in those top leaves. And as the disease progresses, it actually continues to just move down the branch. So it just keeps moving down. And it will uh, continue to kill off leaves. You'll see a lot of discoloration as the disease progresses into the tree. Uh, the leaves just start to dry up. They become very brittle. They wilt. And the branch itself, as, as it continues to progress, the, as, it, as it really gets into that tree, the, those tips, they begin to uh, turn black. And that's why they'll call it fire blight because it looks like the, those branches have been burnt. And then eventually those tips will actually bend over and kind of make a, a shepherd's crook, uh, if you will, uh, at the very tip of the branch. And, and it's very, it's, it's quite devastating, uh, to any, any of those plants in the rose family. Now, not just your apples and pears. If you've got a hawthorn, which are not a particularly common plant uh, or tree here in the treasure valley. Um, I see some on occasion, um, but they're not super popular around here. I don't know why. They are a very pretty tree, um, but we just don't see a lot of them. Um, and, and roses certainly could get them. They don't tend to get them very often. I've, I don't know that I've ever actually seen a, a rose bush get fire blight. It typically just seems to happen or show up more in your 
uh, your apples and pears and and hawthorns are going to be the most uh, susceptible to that. But it can attack. It technically can attack and get into anything in the rose family. And some of those uh, other plants might not really get damaged by it, but they could be a vector. They could be something, uh, a plant that's carrying it. So it's a good idea to do treatment, do do those things, make sure that you're covering all your bases. Uh, so now that we know kind of what fire blight looks like, what some of your early symptoms are, you want to just look for that wilting at the very tips of the branch, uh, that discoloration. We want to get into some care method. Well, first let's talk about prevention because if you're not noticing any of those symptoms, um, you still have plenty of time to prevent that fire blight from getting in there. Because we, we don't, doesn't look like we have a lot of rain in the near future. We have some potentially today, but it, pretty spotty over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start probably getting into that really warm temperature. Uh, but you might start to notice it. So you absolutely should, if you have an apple or a pear tree, you should get some copper sulfate or copper, the copper spray, the copper fungicide. It actually works for bacteria as well. You can still apply that. Even applying it today before we get any rain, if you've got some, mix some of that up, get out there and spray that tree down, especially if you don't see any damage uh, because you really want to protect that tree from fire blood. It's not something you want to deal with. And what's interesting, or, I mean, it's always tough to say it's interesting when it's something that can be so devastating. But once your tree has fire blight, it will always have fire blight. It's not something that will ever go away. You might not see it every year, um, but it is something that will be persistent. You will always have to treat. You will always have to do something for fire blight. It just might not show up every year. Um, so you really want to prevent it as much as you can. So you're going to go mix up your copper spray and you're going to just spray the entire tree. Um, of course you got to make sure that the blooms have fallen on your apples and pears. You should be well past that now. Most, I'm pretty sure all of my apples and pears, uh, petals have fallen at this point. So you're fine to go ahead. That means you've got fruit set. It means you're not going to have any bees buzzing around and you can go ahead and spray those guys. Uh, with whatever uh, you need to, particularly in this case, the copper spray. So we've got a few more care tips because there's one more thing that you really got to look out for with that fire blight. We'll get into that here in another uh, in the next segment. If you want to be a part of the show, give me a call, 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBOI. The Zamzo's Garden Show will be back right here on News Talk KBOI. Hi, this is Josh Samzo, and a lot of customers have been telling us that they have some stubborn weeds that just won't go away no matter what they do. At Zamzo's, we typically focus on natural solutions, but sometimes you need to bring out the big guns. Zamzo's Ultra. You see, Zamzo's Ultra contains four of the most effective weed killers ever created that each attack weeds in their own way. So if one won't get them, the others will. That makes Ultra one of the most powerful broadleaf weed killers that you can buy. Plus, Zamzo's Ultra works in hours, not days. You can recede your lawn in just two weeks after application, and Zamzo's Ultra kills the weeds but won't harm your grass. So if you've got stubborn weeds in your lawn that won't go away no matter what you do, give them the ultimate solution. Zamzo's Ultra, available as an economical concentrate or a convenient ready-to-use spray. Because since 1933, when it comes to making even stubborn weeds go away, nobody knows like Zamzo's. The Ben Shapiro Show, weekdays from 1 to 3 on News Talk KBOI. 
All right, we are back for part two the Zamzo's Garden Show. I'm your host, Nolan Guthrie, and uh, I am uh, so happy to be back live in studio talking to you all today about your lawns, your gardens, your trees, your shrubs, whatever it is you got going on in the backyard or the front yard or the side yard, whichever yard. Uh, I'd love to help you out. Give me a call, 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBOI. Uh, we were talking about some fire blight and taking care of that, and we got a phone call during the break. So let's go ahead and talk to Joy in Ontario. Joy, how's it going? How can I help you today? Well, thank you. I have a beautiful garden. Last summer, the squash bugs carried off all my summer squashes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, squash bugs are probably, man, they are a tough one to control, aren't they? Um, so the best, the best piece of advice I ever got, um, was from a a guy who was a manager for Zamzos for a long time. Uh, and he said, what you want to do is you want to plant your squash, whatever it is, plant them about one to two weeks later than you had last year, or excuse me, one to two weeks after your neighbors have. Because then the squash bugs will all go to your neighbor's plants, and you'll you and you'll be spared. <laughs> uh, now that's <laughs> that's not necessarily the most practical way to uh, get rid of squash bugs. Um, but the biggest thing with squash bugs is persistence. You have to just keep monitoring your plants, watching for the bugs. Um, do you know how to look for the eggs on the plants? Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to look at the underside of the leaves, okay? So the, the squash bugs, they have to go down into the ground every every night, so they don't stay up on the plant all day long. The adults will go down to the ground, they'll hide underneath leaf litter and kind of at the base of the plant, and then they'll come up and they lay eggs underneath the leaves at the uh, towards the uh, where the veins, the big heavy veins of the leaves come together, usually towards the bottom base of the leaf, and they'll see the little eggs right in that little uh, V where the veins come together. The little uh, brownish, reddish little eggs. That's where they lay those eggs. Anytime you want to go out there and look for them uh, every day and flip those leaves over. And if you see any of those eggs, um, those leaves are really strong. You can actually just pinch that little corner, wherever those eggs are, pinch that little corner out of the leaf. The leaf will still be just fine with even if that little bit is pinched out, just kind of cut it out and throw those in the trash. Uh, get them away from the garden because they can still hatch. Get them somewhere like in the trash bin. Um, but that's one way, kind of the first bit. The other thing is to use, there's a couple of different um, insecticides that you can use, and I've got one that's really works really well. Um, it's called Last Call, and we have it in a dust, and it is organic. And you just want to spray that, or you pour, you just kind of dust that last call at the base of the plant, and you want to try to get it on the underside and the stalks of the leaves because they are going to travel up the stalks of those leaves, and wherever that stuff is, they'll get it in them or get it on them, and they'll clean themselves off, and that's when they'll eat it. Um, there are a lot of other uh, dusts. The dust really seem to be the biggest are the best control methods. Um, I've, you know, a lot of people who use sprays and things like that, and it just doesn't ever seem to work as well. Uh, the dust, making sure that they crawl through whatever that is, really seems to be the key to getting control of those adults. And then it's really just about being persistent, monitoring out there, going out there every other day um, or every day, you know, when they're really growing, and just 
anytime you see them, uh, some people will take like a little, um, uh, just get like a little cup and put some acetone or some nail polish remover in there. If you see an adult, pick it off, throw it in that acetone. That'll kill them. Gives you a little bit of satisfaction of knowing that they died painfully. Um, and and that's that's kind of that's really the best thing that you can do. Aside from not planting squash anymore, um, which is actually not a, a bad if you've been having a really bad you know big issue with them. You know, waiting a year or two, giving it a time to kind of cool off, let that that population kind of decline, can kind of give you a little bit of a reset and really slow them down. Um, but if you really like squash, that's not always you know the best case scenario. So. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Joy. We appreciate that. I was uh, not sure if Joy is in the car or if it's just starting to rain like crazy over there in Ontario. Maybe it's just uh, maybe there's some rain heading our way right now. And Joy just uh, gave us a warning. Uh, but good luck with the squash bugs. They are uh, they are a difficult one to control. Probably I would say like squash bugs and earwigs. You know, earwigs aren't as devastating as squash bugs are. I mean, de- earwigs just get into everything. It would be nice if we could like make some sort of rivalry between the squash and the earwigs and they would just fight each other and then we wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. Maybe we can do that. We can just start saying that, you know, the squash bug said something about the earwigs mom, the earwigs said something about, you know, their dog not being nice. I mean, there's gotta be some way to take care of that. Right. Um, that would be the ultimate organic control for squash bugs. All right. Hey, if you want to be a part of the show, I would love to talk to you. You can do that at two Oh eight three, three, six, Three seven zero zero or one eight hundred five two nine KBOI. All right, so we were talking about fire blight. We we're talking about how to control it, how to look for it. Um, well, mainly how to prevent it because that's always the best thing that we can do. If we can stop fire blight from becoming an issue in the first place, uh, then it makes just just makes our life that much easier because then we don't ever have to do anything for control because control. Are getting rid of fire blight is a real headache, especially if you've got a bigger tree with lots of limbs and it's just, it's been there forever on a smaller tree. It can be a little bit easier just because of access. It's easier to, you know, get to the branches. But for fire blight, what you have to do once it gets into the plant is you've actually got to prune it out. You have to remove the disease from the tree physically. So you're going to actually have to get out the pruners, um, and, there's a couple of steps to it. What you're going to have to do is um, you can do it a couple of different ways, but you actually have to disinfect the pruners in between each cut. It's a very laborious product process, um, and you, when you cut into the tree, you're actually going to be getting some, potentially getting some of the disease on your pruner. So if you don't do any kind of disinfecting or clean the pruners off and you go and cut somewhere else on the tree, you just moved it from one spot to the other. So in between cuts, you're going to find where the lowest point of damage is on the branch. So you're going to look for that uh, that darker color. It's going to turn black usually. You may see the branch or the uh, the twig start to kind of sink, sink in, kind of look like it's... Um, 
it doesn't have enough water because essentially that is what's happening is the water can't continue to move up into the twig or the branch. And you're going to try to go about six to eight inches below that and you're going to make a cut. You want to make a cut at a bud, you know, wherever the leaf or a new twig is coming out, preferably one that's growing to the outer side of the tree. And you're going to make that cut uh, as you normally would. Uh, make it real nice and clean with a slight slope to it. And then once you take that branch off, you're going to disinfect that pruner. You can do that a couple of ways. Some people will use, um, you know, just something simple like a 10 to 1 bleach solution, 10 to 1 water uh, and one part bleach. Uh, mix that up in a bucket or something. And uh, in between that cut, you can dip your pruner in that solution. It's probably a good idea to wear some gloves uh, because you're going to be doing that a lot. You want to have some sort of glove so that you're not constantly just putting your hand in bleach water and drying your hands out. And that can always be, you know, kind of a difficult thing to deal with. Um, but then you actually have to let the, the, the bleach solution dry on the cut. You want to make sure that the bleach actually evaporates off. That's where it's actually going to kill it. You can also use, um, like a bleach wipe. If you have something like that, you can use a bleach wipe and wipe off the blade, uh, try to get that, but you're going to go through a lot of wipes when you do it that way. So it's going to kind of be up to you as to whether or not that's going to be economical or the best way to do it. Um, but you can do either one of those things, but in between each cut, you're going to make a cut, uh, remove the branch, clean off your pruner and then go to your next cut. But you got to make sure you don't miss that step because otherwise you're not making any headway. It's just moving that disease from one spot to the next. And, uh, you'll be doing the same thing in a couple of weeks as it continues to progress. All right, it looks like we got, uh, let's go ahead and hit another break. We've got a few more things to talk about, but if you'd like to be a part of the show, I would love to talk to you. You can do that at 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBY. This is the Zamzo's Garden Show. We'll be right back. The Zamzo's Garden Show will be back right here on News Talk KBOI. Hi, this is Jim Zamzo, and if you haven't already done so, feeding your lawn with Zamzo's Lawn Food is essential for its good health. That's because every lawn needs balanced nutrients to stay healthy and for Humagreen, which is step three of our Zamzo's Lawn Program, to properly work. Plus, having a healthy lawn helps it recover from fungus and fight off insects which target weak, stressed-out lawns. Remember, you can buy Zamzo's Lawn Food one bag at a time or as part of our lawn program. So if it's been six weeks since you last fed your lawn, it's time. Oh, and proper mowing and watering is a must. Set your mower height to four inches and make sure your sprinklers are delivering one inch of water every three to five days. And if you see a problem, bring us a turf sample showing where the good lawn turns to bad. We'll analyze it for free and help solve whatever's going on. So come see us, because since 1933, when it comes to healthy green lawns, even in the heat of summer, nobody knows Broadcasting from the Empire Title Studios, we are News Talk KBOI. All right, we are back for part three of the Zamzo's Garden Show. I'm your host, Nolan Guthrie, and I am live in studio this weekend. And uh, I would love to talk to you about whatever's going on in your uh, yard if you've got some vegetables or lawn issues or tree issues or, you know, 
just want to talk about what you're planting this year. I'd love to talk to you about that. I like hearing about those sort of things. Give me a call, 208-336-3700 or 1-800-529-KBOI. This time of year when we have rain like this for this extended amount of time, it really kind of gives us this sense of security. A lot of things kind of tend to get taken care of on their own. We don't have to do a whole lot. It's really nice. But there is, it can be a false sense of security sometimes. And uh, we're going to get into some of those things, what kind of things we can do to prepare. Because sure enough, at some point here, I'm sure we're going to get some uh, really warm weather. You know, it's Idaho. It's going to get hot eventually. Looks like we got a phone call. Let's go to Betty in Weezer. Betty, how's it going? How can I help you today? Wonderful. Well, I have a tip for you. Oh, okay. I have found that catnip is wonderful for keeping bugs away. Oh, really? Um, yes. Does it attract a lot of cats, though? Probably depends on how many cats you have nearby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there are some. Have you found that to work for squash bugs or just kind of uh, bugs in general? bugs in general. I yeah. hardly any last yeah. year. Well, that's that's no good bugs. to know. I did had not thought about catnip. There are a couple of other plants that do tend to uh, uh, help with that. Marigolds are one that uh, can sometimes help with that. Um, but yeah, companion planting is always a good something. You know, I, For some people, it seems like it doesn't get rid of the bugs entirely, but if it can help at all um, and you can use fewer chemicals, uh, then you know that's that's a a big plus in the uh, feather in the cap column. I would say. Yes. That's awesome. Thanks for that uh, that tip, Betty. I appreciate it. I will keep that in mind, and uh, maybe we'll plan. I have a cat. Uh, there's a couple of cats in my neighborhood. They seem to be in my yard anyway. So if I plant catnip, it would probably just be par for the course. Probably won't change a whole lot, or maybe it will. Maybe I'll have even more cats around. That'll give him something for my dog to worry about, I guess. Uh, all right, so let's get into some of these other things. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the, what there's a lot of things that tend to happen that we don't see every year when we get a, an extended rain in the spring like this. And uh, I got a lot of questions this week uh, from folks asking through the website and online. Uh, through a lot of different channels, but they uh, were seeing or starting to see. Uh, what is ultimately something that's not that worrisome. It's something that just will tend to happen. Uh, but a lot of times people, when you don't see this, it, it tends to kind of freak you out when you first do it. And that, what that is is uh, we get a lot of rain, grass is growing quickly, and a lot of our grass starts to go to seed. Um, and we, we, kinda, we tend to forget about that. Our lawns or the grass in our lawn is trying to go to seed. It does want to get tall enough so that it can produce seed and reproduce itself. That's how our grasses reproduce themselves is by seed, and so they will tend to do that. Uh, well, I mean, they want to do it every year. These times of years where we have a lot of rain and a lot of moisture in the grass growing really quickly, um, it tends to happen on a more regular basis. And so a lot of times people haven't seen that before. They think that there's a weed in their lawn. They think something's wrong. Something's happening. In a lot of cases, um, it's completely natural. It's something that our lawns just want to do. Now, there is uh, one case in which it is not something we want it to do, 
Uh, I mean, we can't stop it from doing it, unfortunately. Uh, but I want to uh, just let you know, there's one type of grass. Um, it's very, very common. It is a weedy grass, or it was will be considered a weedy grass. It's called annual bluegrass, or poa anna. You might have heard it called one of those two things. Poa anna is kind of what a lot of people will call it. That's actually the scientific name for that variety or species of grass. Um, the common name is annual bluegrass. But what this grass does is, uh, you know, it's it's all. Chances are you've got some annual bluegrass in your lawn. It's just it's always around. It doesn't usually become a problem until there's some other problem. For instance. You got bill bugs and they killed a bunch of a uh, big area or, you know, sprinkler malfunction, a bunch of lawn died or there was a stressed area or the grass got really thin. Those other stressors tend to lead to an increase in that annual bluegrass kind of filling in and taking over those that lawn. Uh, but with annual bluegrass, it uh, is an annual, just like any other annual plant. It goes through its entire life cycle in one season. So it goes from seed uh, to producing seed in that one year. Uh, now, it germinates in the fall, usually starts to germinate kind of around the end of August-ish, um, around the same time cheatgrass would. Uh, that's when cheatgrass uh, germinates as well. Kind of that end of summer, first, you know, very beginning of fall is when that seed begins to germinate. And so it starts growing then. It's actually growing through the fall, grows through the winter, all the way through spring. And now this time of year, it's actually going to seed. And the thing that's tough about annual bluegrass is it will go to seed at really any height. Uh, cheatgrass has to grow up quite a bit before it can actually go to seed, which is why cheatgrass doesn't grow in a lawn. Uh, it really, cheatgrass has to be in a clear area where it's not getting mowed down constantly. If you mow cheatgrass every single day or every single week, you probably have to mow it a little bit faster than that because it does grow very quickly. Uh, but if the cheatgrass doesn't get tall enough, it won't go to seed. And so it can't persist. It can't keep coming back in the lawn. So it's usually not an issue in cheatgrass or in lawns, at least not for uh, consecutive years, as long as you're mowing it. Uh, now the annual bluegrass will go to seed at really any, any height. It doesn't have to grow tall. Um, and usually the way, the height we're mowing the lawn is not enough to keep that annual bluegrass from going to seed. So right now you may be seeing a whole bunch of seed heads in the lawn and it could be annual bluegrass. One of the ways you're going to tell that it's annual bluegrass is it's going to typically be in, like I said, the middle of the lawn. A lot of people will bring in a, a sample of uh, a taller grass, um, and that is oftentimes your perennial ryegrass. That perennial ryegrass is going to show up around the edges of your lawn, typically where the mower isn't getting it, right? So that's where I will see you know, perennial ryegrass you know, you got uh, your edging or your rock or whatever it is around the outside of the lawn, and it's places where the mower can't get or you miss it with the string trimmer, and it just gets taller. And once it gets up to about 6 to 8 inches, or excuse me, probably closer to 8 to 10 inches, it's going to shoot up a seed head. Um, and that's going to be typically your perennial ryegrass. So that really just has to get, you know, you just got to whack that down. You got to get it knocked down. In the middle of the lawn is where you're going to see that annual bluegrass, and you'll just see your kind of lawn will be green, and you'll just see this kind of almost like a white cast to the top of it. 
And that's a good way. And once you get up into it, you'll actually see the little seed heads are coming out of the lawn. Those those are a weed. Um, and I'll tell you how to take care of it here in just a moment. Looks like we got a phone call. Let's go to John in Nampa. John, how's it going? How can I help you today? Pretty good. I just had a quick question for you. I had a some work done on my uh, irrigation uh, system this week, and and it, you know it's uh, the box is right there on the ground. And the guy told me when he lifted the boards up, there was a big old black widow spider there, and he said he had to, he he tried to get him with his tools, but he couldn't. <laughs> so uh-huh. what kind of what can I get to uh, to take care of that guy? Um, you know what I would use is. Um I would just get like one of the, we've got a couple of different like fogger type of uh, sprays, you know, something that's in an aerosol, but just get one yeah. of your like, uh, you know, like a spider aerosol killer. Uh, but you don't want one. I when because of the location that you're dealing with. I wouldn't go with like something that's going to spray in a jet. You want something that kind of uh, emits like a fog almost. And I would just, yeah, just lift that top up, and I would just blast that fog into that place. Those fogs work really well to kind of spread out and get into the little nooks and crannies where those spiders might be hanging out. And do that a couple of times just to make sure you're kind of really dissipating it in there. Um, but that yeah. should that should take care of it. Um, they also like okay. to be, you know, they are reclusive. They do like to hide. So even taking yeah. the top of it off for a couple of days might make them kind of think that this isn't a great place that they're going to want to hang out in anymore and they might take off. So you could even do that and just forego the chemical. But, um, you know, black widows are not something I've ever wanted to deal with, (laughs) obviously. Um, You know, I don't know how – it would be interesting to look up how often people actually get bit by black widows. I've never actually seen any statistics on that, but I'm sure it's not something we want to deal with. So. No, that's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. Yeah, so that's what that's what I would do. Just something that you just want. Like I said, just make sure it's that fog. And once you you really fill that can that that box up, put the lid back on so it kind of stays in there and kind of permeates yeah. inside there. And uh, that should take care of you. I just do it once or twice just to make sure. Will do. Thank All right. You very much. Good luck, John. Appreciate the call. Thanks for that. And uh, we're going to go ahead and go to a break. We're going to come back for one more segment of the Zamzo's Garden Show here on KBOI. The Zamzo's Garden Show will be back right here on News Talk KBOI. Hi, this is Josh Zamzo here with my sister Callie. And Callie, a lot of people are telling us they're seeing different types of unsightly grasses growing in their lawn, which to them is a real pain in the neck. That is what you were trying to say, right, Joss? I was trying to say that customers are complaining that crabgrass is growing around the edges of their lawn and that it's becoming a real pain in the rear end. But it's too late to prevent crabgrass and too early to start seeing it. So it's probably goosegrass or quackgrass they're seeing. Well, if this grass could quack like a duck, right now it's quacking its ever-loving head off. Well, you got that right. My neighbor been working his tail off? Well, just tell him to come to Zanzo's. We have experts at all 13 stores who can identify goosegrass, along with crabgrass and quackgrass. Which are both complete pains in the... I think we got that, Joss. So if you have ugly grass that's taking over your lawn... Pull a fresh sample of the grass and get your... Behind to your nearest Zanzo's. You know, I gotta admit, Mom will probably like your version of this commercial a little bit better than mine. You can bet your sweet bottom on that, Joss. Nobody knows like Zanzo's. News talk doesn't have to be boring. Weekday mornings from 6 to 10. It's Casper and Chris on News Talk KBOI. All right, we are back for part four of the Zamzo's Garden Show. I am your host, Nolan Guthrie. 
And uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, annual bluegrass and what to do for it in the lawn. Now, annual bluegrass, as I was mentioning, is an annual. It dies every single year. Germinates in the fall. Grows up. This time of year, you might be seeing all sorts of seed head from it. Um, now, if it's in the middle of the lawn, it could be Kentucky bluegrass. Um, if you have Kentucky bluegrass in your lawn, that will actually go to seed and actually looks very similar and will seed at a similar height. It usually needs to get a little bit taller than annual bluegrass, but annual bluegrass is going to die as soon as it gets to 90 degrees. Um, that first hot day, your annual bluegrass is going to start dying. And if it gets real hot, stays hot, it's going to die really quickly. And so a lot of times what we see is annual bluegrass tends to get misdiagnosed uh, by uh, folks as a bug issue or it could be a watering issue. And sometimes so you really want to make note if you see a bunch of those seed heads and then it starts to get hot and you notice a big areas of your lawn dying, got to make sure that you bring that sample into the store so that we can look for bugs but also we can look for those seed heads. Those seed heads will persist even once the grass is dead. You'll see that and you, you then that's a good indicator that you've had annual, you have annual bluegrass. From there, uh, what you're going to want to do, what I, well, right now, what I want you to do is if you notice in a lot of those seed heads, now is a great time. We've had this cooler weather. We've got some rain. We've got some time probably till it's going to get real hot. If you're noticing a lot of those seed heads, do some reseeding right now. Get some new grass seed onto the lawn. Mow it down a little bit lower than you normally would. Put some new seed out there, and that new seed is going to start growing, and it's going to fill in these areas. So you're going to have new grass coming up. As that annual bluegrass dies, you're going to have a perennial grass. Fill it right back in, and you're not going to have any issues. And usually, once you've got that grass filled in with that new good grass, the annual bluegrass isn't going to have a place to really take over again. So it's not, you're going to, going to have to do a whole lot later on in the year to treat for it. So it's a great way to just fix the lawn one time. You've got to have that grass in there, that good grass in there to stop it from, stop that cycle. Now, if you don't get to that or you missed it or you did something like that, you can still prevent it. You're going to use the crabgrass preventer we use in the spring. Same exact chemical, same product. You're just going to put that on about mid to late August because that's when that annual bluegrass and that cheatgrass is going to germinate. Put the crabgrass preventer down, throw it in your flower beds. That'll prevent that annual bluegrass from germinating. It'll also prevent the cheatgrass from germinating if it's in your flower beds. And, uh, and that'll control it pretty much, you know, pretty well. You can actually stop a lot of it from coming back. Just make sure that you do get that new seed down there. That's the thing that's always going to kind of come back to bite you. If you don't have a full lawn for the grass, that's full of good grass. That annual bluegrass is just going to keep coming back in and keep trying to take over those spots. So really make sure that's the biggest key. New seed. New grass in those areas is going to prevent that annual bluegrass from taking over and continuing to die year after year in your lawn. You're going to be able to take care of it for good. All right. Looks like we do have a phone call. We got uh, Doug on the line. Doug, how's it going? How can I help you today? Uh, two, two comments. Um, there's an environmentally safe way to um, kill those spiders also. Is that, uh, yeah. And just jab it right into them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> squash bugs. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe we can get the squash bugs to go fight the black widows. Maybe that's 
There you go. <laughs> good, good food for them. Yeah. Um, the other question is, I let my lawn go in the backyard to about four and a half inches, and it blew, grew some of those seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So in you and I know you've got. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Doug. Pick up the bottom of those, and then let them dry out, and then run them across the lawn. Um, well, actually, you don't. You don't even have to go that far. Chances are, I'm going to guess that you've probably because you're you're usually you've got your lawn in pretty good shape and you're taking care of it. I'm going to guess you might have more of the uh, Kentucky bluegrass in your lawn, um, and but you won't actually have to do any anything special to get them to seed. Really, just with your mowing, you think of your mowing as kind of a harvester. It's going to do its thing. You're going to mow it off. It's going to dry out. You know, some of it's going to get bagged up into the mower uh, bag, but a lot of it's still going to, you know, fall to the ground and will do its thing. So um, that's totally fine um, if you've got that Kentucky bluegrass. And that's really the main thing is you just you're watching for um, those spots to die. If they die, then you know you've got annual bluegrass, and you just got to get some new seed in there to fill those spots in. Yeah, because I did. My first mowing, um, it left a lot of clumps of grass yeah. through it because it was so tall. I went, I listened to your, um, to Josh's um, idea on raising the blades to the top and then drop one. Yeah. But I, I left it all the way up and uh, for the first time. And then I came back a few days later and brought it down one more to make it three and a half inches. Um, yeah. And, but I raked all those grasses up because they dried out a little bit. Yeah. Before I was going to mow that one. Yeah. So I bagged that, that, that um, second set on there. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's what you want to do. You don't want to leave those clumps out there. Um, you know, and if once they dry up a little bit, you might be able to just kind of, you know, rake them out and just kind of spread them out a little bit, or you can go back over it with the mower. And, um, you know, unless it's that annual bluegrass, it's not that bad. You know, you get some of that ryegrass in the, you know, some of the grass that you want to go to seed. That's totally fine. It's totally normal. What just tends to happen is a lot of people don't see that. They don't notice it. And we don't, you know, we kind of become something we forget about. Grass goes to seed. That's how it spreads. And when you don't see it in the lawn every year, you kind of, sometimes we forget about it. Because I know it's the clusters of grass that sit there. It'll, it will yellow the, um, underneath it. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Right. That's why you got to, you got to either rake them up, pick them up, toss them, or, um, Throw them in the mulch pile, do something like that. But uh, yeah, you definitely don't okay. want that stuff sitting around. I, I got to do my second um, uh, fertilizing today and put my pre emergence on since I haven't put any on yet. They told me that's okay to do that. Yeah. Or wait till June. Yeah, for sure. Especially but if you're dealing with that uh, goose grass. Yeah. I don't have any goose grass, really. Mm. But yeah, I do have some of it in the front yard. Gotcha. Yeah, now's a great time. You know, we've got some rain coming in. You want to fertilize the lawn, you're going to be in uh, be in good shape. It's going to take care of the lawn, get it all nice and green if it isn't already, and you'll be all set. Thanks for that call, Doug. I appreciate it. we got just about a minute left there, it looks like. Um, uh, so let's see. Yeah, don't have a whole lot else. Everything else I had to talk about is probably going to take a little bit longer than this minute. So I will just say thank you all for listening today. I will be uh, live next week here on the Zanzo's Garden Show. 
And, uh, yeah, get out there, enjoy the sun while we can. Get some planting going. It looks like we're past that last, uh, last instance of frost, so we should be all set to go. And uh, here's a fun thing that I started working on this week. Jim Zamzo is trying to grow a really tall tomato. He's trying to get a tomato up to 20 feet again this year. Check out zamzos.com. There's a banner at the top. He's sharing with me some of the things he's doing and going to document the whole process. He's named that Tomato Friday. So we're going to release things on Friday, let you know. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Have a great one. Hi, this is Josh Zamzo, and as you may have heard, there's a nationwide shortage of pottery, but not at Zamzo's. Last spring, our buyers saw that a shortage was coming, so they ordered a massive amount of pottery, and to coin a phrase, our ship has come in. In fact, we have so much pottery, both indoor and outdoor, that this is the largest selection of pottery we've ever carried in almost 90 years of business. So if you have house plants, patio plants, potted plants along the driveway, walkway, or any place else, Zamzo's has a pot to fit every plant. What's more, now through the end of May, all pottery at all 13 Zamzos is 30% off. And if you're a member of our lawn program, you get an additional 10% off, which makes this the ideal time to replace those faded, cracked, and worn out pots with dazzling new ones. But don't wait. At 30% off, many of these pots won't last long. So for Idaho's largest selection of pottery, both indoor and outdoor, shop now at your neighborhood Zamzos. 